Welcome to the Eden Podcast, where we think again about the Bible on women and men, and we start with the correct understanding of what happened in the Garden of Eden back in the beginning. Today we'll be hearing from Bruce C.E. Fleming. He's a former academic dean and professor of practical theology. The work of the True 316 Foundation is based on the research of Dr. Joy Fleming, who wrote the book Man and Woman in Biblical Unity, Theology from Genesis 2 to 3. Listeners like you are joining us as members of the True 316 Foundation and support the work to true the verse of Genesis 316 and the seven key passages on women and men. It turns out, when Genesis 316 becomes clear, all the other passages become clear too. You can learn more at our website, true316.com. That's tru316.com. And at the end of this episode, we'll tell you about a special gift we have for new members. And now, enjoy today's episode of the Eden Podcast. On the last episode of Season 9, titled Joy Story, I interviewed Dr. Joy Fleming as she recounted how God led her to study Genesis chapters 2 and 3 for her doctoral dissertation at the University of Strasbourg, France. If you'd like to get a copy of her dissertation, visit our website at true316.com shop. After teaching in French-speaking Africa as professor of Old Testament studies, when we returned to the States, she was asked to condense her 407-page dissertation for the average reader. She did, and it appeared as her book, Man and Woman in Biblical Unity, Theology from Genesis 2 to 3. We're serializing that book for Season 10 on the Eden Podcast. Here is the very first installment for you now. Man and Woman in Biblical Unity, Theology from Genesis Chapters 2 and 3 Written by Joy Fleming, Ph.D., Psy.D. Narrated by Bruce Fleming. Chapter 1. Introduction The origin of the human race would be largely a mystery were not the story recounted in the early chapters of Genesis. Genesis 1, 2, and 3 tells us of God's work as he created the world, made the first human beings, and designed the beautiful garden. The story is a marvel, but the last chapter 3 relates the entry of sin into the world. God prepared the setting. It took most of six days to get the world ready to be the place of human habitation. Finally, the man and the woman were created at the end of the sixth day, last, but certainly not least. The human race was and is God's delight. This early part of Genesis tells of two human beings, each specially handmade by God. It speaks of how they related to the Creator's care and command. Because they were two people, Societal interplay is observed between them, and because they were responsible for their own actions, the Creator deals with each one individually. In Genesis, we discover that both persons share equally in the image of God, Genesis 1, 26 and 27, the charge to be fruitful and multiply, Genesis 1, 28, the mandate to rule over the world God created, Genesis 1, 26 through 31, the enjoyment of God's gracious bounty in Eden, Genesis 2, and even in the name Adam, Genesis 5, 2. Neither person of either gender has greater intrinsic value than the other. They are partners in the grace of life. 
The text of Genesis 2 and 3 tells us of the Creator who graciously reached out to the two sinners and how the first couple experienced God's love as well as the results of their sin. But some claim Genesis 2 and 3 has much more to say about woman and man than that. Some hold that in creation, or as a result of the fall, God rank-ordered things on a vertical scale of hierarchy. They contend that the Bible teaches such a theology. As a result of that interpretation, women are encouraged to find fulfillment in being stewards within a framework of authority and submission in the home and in the church. Men are exhorted to exercise leadership in an attitude of servanthood. But the foundation of such a view is built on theological sands of a Genesis account wrongly understood. My own exploration yielded discoveries that will be surprising to some. My approach was to undertake a fresh analysis of the Hebrew text of Genesis 2.4 through 3.24. Then, theological conclusions were formulated on that exegesis. I have painstakingly attempted to discover what the text does say, as well as what it does not say or even imply. Theological constructs have then been carefully built on this solid biblical foundation. All of the textual analysis is not duplicated here, and the focus of this book is of necessity on the conclusions of the work. However, significant substantiation is offered for each major point, especially for those conclusions that may be viewed as controversial because of the history of the discussion and current debates. This book is intended to be read with the biblical text in hand. This book was abstracted from a doctoral dissertation by Joy Elasky Fleming. A Rhetorical Analysis of Genesis 2 and 3, with Implications for a Theology of Man and Woman, University of Strasbourg, France, 1987. Chapter 2, God at Work, Genesis 2. Genesis 2, verse 4 through Genesis 3, verse 24, is part of one of 11 segments in the book of Genesis introduced by the Hebrew phrase, Ele Toledoth or These Are the Generations Of. The section of which this passage is a part extends through Genesis 4.26. The narration of the creation of man and woman, their disobedience, and subsequent expulsion from the garden is recorded in seven episodes which are arranged chiastically. Chiasms, or inverted parallelisms, are stylistic devices that occur frequently in Hebrew literature. Ancient chiasms typically organize an odd or even number of units, words, lines, segments, sections, into a definite pattern where there is an observable correspondence between the first unit and the last unit, the second unit and the next to the last unit, and so on. A seven-part chiasm would be diagrammed A, B, C, D, C prime, B prime, A prime. The prime sections characteristically pick up themes of their corresponding sections, they frequently elaborate those themes in greater detail or supply new details. The prime sections tend to be longer than their earlier counterparts. The center section is often of major, even primary importance, or even the turning point of the literary unit. For example, scholars have noted the detailed chiastic arrangement of the flood narrative in Genesis 6.10 through 9.19. The center section of the chiasm, Genesis 8.1, and God remembered Noah is the turning point of the story. Chiasms vary in length like an accordion, expanded or contracted, depending on the length of the narrative. It is not unusual to find chiasms within chiasms 
within chiasms. Chiasms represent a kind of literary art form that interweaves words and motifs in an intricate pattern. Beyond the aesthetic quality of a chiasm, which has intrinsic value in its own right, the form conveys meaning, as does the content. Accordingly, proper understanding of the form is essential to a proper understanding of the content. The episodes in Genesis 2.5 through 3.24 can be diagrammed chiastically in the following manner. A. 2.5-15. God's creation of the man and placement in Eden. B. 2.16 and 17. God's command. C. 2.18-24. God's creation of the woman. D. 2.25. Harmony in Eden. C. Prime. 3.1-5. The Evil Serpent Tempter. B prime, 3 6 to 7, Transgression of God's Command. A prime, 3 8 to 24, The Results of Disobedience and Expulsion from Eden. Part 1, 3 8 to 13, Interrogation. Part 2, 3 14 to 19, God is Judge and Prophet. Part 3, 3 20 to 24, Aftermath and Expulsion from Eden. Episodes A, B, and C show God at work creating what is good. Episodes C prime, B prime, and A prime show evil, or sin at work, in the formerly good world. In episode D, sin has not yet entered the picture, nor is God doing any new work. Another way to picture the episodes comprising the story is as a bell-shaped curve with an upward slope for episodes A through D, with D in the middle at the top, and a downward slope for the prime episodes C prime, B prime, and A prime. Let's examine each of the episodes in the story. As we do so, we will draw theological conclusions based on our analysis. Episode A, The Earthling in the Garden, Genesis 2, 5-15. God hand-makes the first two human beings. God does not make twins, but makes each one at a time. The man, like the animals, is taken from the ground, Genesis 1.24, 2.19. Specifically, he is made from the dust of the ground, Genesis 2.7. In 2.7, there is an interesting play on words. From the Hebrew word ha-adama, the earth, ha-adam, the earthling, is made. Unlike the animals, he is individually fashioned, yatsar, connoting the artistry of a potter. And unlike the animals, Ha'adam is animated by the divine breath of life. The man is placed in the Garden of Eden, about which the author gives some detail. His assignment is set out in verse 15. He is to cultivate Abath, the garden, and guard Shamar, it. It is here that some have raised a question related to equality. Does the chronological sequence in which the man and the woman are created have any special significance? Some claim that the woman, being the, quote, second sex, is subordinate to the man. Perhaps to the Western mind, where first is best, such a ranking would make sense. But one has only to read the narrative at hand to see that no such point can be established here. For God did his creative work in ascending order of importance and sophistication, beginning with inanimate matter, then the realm of vegetation, next the animal kingdom, and finally, human beings— If temporal priority implied superiority or greater importance, then the animals would be the superiors of humans. Since God, for reasons to be explored below, determined to create one of these humans from the other, 
sequence was unavoidable, but temporal priority implies nothing about relative worth or authority. Episode B. The Command. Genesis 2.16 and 17. In these verses, the Lord God speaks to the man and says three things. One, from any tree of the garden you may eat freely. Two, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. And three, for in the day that you eat from it, you shall surely die. Though the command was given to the man, the woman had knowledge of it and was held accountable for it. So why did God utter his words of command to the man before the woman was present? Again, the apparent reason has to do with God's decision to create sequentially. Clearly, the man needed to know the rules of the game during the interval before the woman's arrival. The text is silent about how the woman heard the command of God, whether directly from God or not. Yet it would not have been necessary for God to again utter the same instructions and proscription in order for God to expect her obedience as well, since the man would have been capable of explaining the rules in Eden to the newcomer. This need not imply any superiority on his part, only that he needed to hear the command as soon as he was present in Eden. Episode C. Help Needed. Genesis 2, 18-24. The Lord God's work of creation was not yet complete. Episode A included a man and a beautiful garden of trees with edible fruit. God spoke in episode B, explaining the rules of the garden concerning what could be eaten. But something, or rather someone, was not present. The Lord God's words recorded in verse 18 express his evaluation of the situation and his intention to supply the missing person. But before he does, it will be best for the man to also become aware of what or who is missing. Once this is achieved, the Lord God will complete his creative work. In this way, God's masterwork will be best understood and appreciated. Episode C is comprised of three major parts. First, in verse 18, God observes that something is not good. That is, the man is alone. But God will make a corresponding partner, a companion, a counterpart. Second, in verses 19 and 20, there is no counterpart to the man to be found among the animals, created beings which are somewhat similar, also made from the ground, but different from him. They do not have the divine breath of life. The man recognizes that he is unique and alone as a human being. Third, in verses 21 to 24, God creates another human being, but not from dust. Woman is specially and carefully made by God's hands, created from the very material of man. She is the resolution to the aloneness which was not good. The man joyfully recognizes that she appropriately corresponds to him and that she is the companion he was without. God's work reaches completion with her creation, the pinnacle of his creative work. Episode C can be diagrammed in greater detail as follows. A. Verse 18. God observes that the man is alone, but God will make an appropriate partner. B. Verse 19. God makes and brings certain animals to the man. C. Verse 20. The man names each animal, but finds no partner appropriate to him. B. Prime. 21 and 22. God takes the man's rib, builds the woman, and brings her to him. A prime, 23 and 24. The man recognizes his appropriate partner, who is his marriage partner. With that overview, let's look at the separate sections of this episode more closely. God sets the stage carefully. First, he makes a pronouncement. 
it is not good. On the heels of five positive assessments, and behold, it was very good in Genesis chapter 1, this intrusion of a negative evaluation is striking. What was not good? Was something wrong with the man? No. Something was incomplete with the situation. God's creative work was not done. So, God makes a declaration of what he is going to do to rectify this state of affairs. He will make a help corresponding to him. Genesis 2.18 and 20. The English words, help corresponding to him, translate two Hebrew words, ezer, konegdo. This literal translation, from a note in the margin of the New American Standard Bible, is more precise than helper suitable for him or meat for him. It is not to be read as helpmeet or helpmate. Such non-existent words are a deformity of the English of the King James Version. Help meet for him. The word meet means appropriate. Each of the two Hebrew words is of great significance to our understanding of the passage. Thanks for listening to the Eden Podcast, brought to you by the members of the True 316 Foundation. Research into the Old and New Testaments by Dr. Joy Fleming and Reverend Bruce C.E. Fleming forms the base of all our work. Joy is a former Old Testament professor and is a practicing licensed psychologist. Bruce is the author of the Eden Book Series, which starts with Book 1, The Book of Eden, Genesis 2-3. to we invite you to become a donor member of the True 316 Foundation as together we seek to true the verse of Genesis 316 and related passages. When you become a member, we'll send you an autographed copy of the Book of Eden. Sign up today by going to true316.com member. That's tru316.com member.